Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 205, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A TikTok trend gets out of hand and leads to school bathrooms getting vandalized. And just how bad is the school bus driver shortage? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, some Indiana University researchers show us why critical thinking is much like a muscle that needs to be exercised. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by a friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing this week? Well, listen, I usually start off and tell you how fabulous I am, but I am going to be a realist because educators need the truth oftentimes. I am just okay. This has been a tough week. Really? I hate to hear that, yeah. you know? I mean, but I guess that that's the way it it's is. It's reality. Right. It's life, and... It's just, you know, to me, I think it's better to just be honest instead of every time our listeners hear me, they think, man, her uh, life, work-life balance is just amazing. And um, honestly, for the most part, it is. But this has been a tough week. I'm exhausted. There's a lot going on. And uh, I just want to tell those educators out there the same thing I need to tell myself. Keep pushing. Keep trying. Keep students first. Make it happen for them even when we really want to go home and curl up in the bed. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, who actually need to hear that. So uh, we appreciate that and let us know if there's anything we can do um, for you. Few things have kind of been crazy around the country education-wise um, that I know districts are probably dealing with. One, I'm curious, is this just a catchy headline or is this a real problem that schools are seeing all over the country? And that is the TikTok's devious licks trend where apparently kids have been trying to be TikTok famous by, I guess, vandalizing bathrooms. Are you familiar with this? I am. And it's such a sad thing that this era, this generation of children, what they find uh, to be funny. And I know over the generations, we've done pranks and little funny things. um, But this is, you know, defacing and damaging school property. Yes, we've seen a little bit of it, but the moment, you know, many of us are on social media and so we find out about things a lot quicker. And so we put some things in place and we're having to monitor the bathrooms a little bit harder. But it is just a a shame, especially um, when consequences are being issued and parents don't want their children to be held responsible. Well, I mean, okay, so, so you're saying like, have you actually seen this take place here around our area? I mean, is it that widespread? I haven't seen any local principals post or complain, but if they're like me, I never really talked about those kinds of things on social media, but I have been seeing it on social media from across the country Mm -hmm. and different groups that I'm in. 
um, that I participate in. And some of them are having a really tough time. They're literally getting to work and parking their mobile offices in front of the restroom. Um, we, we have communicated um, within our buildings to our teachers to say, hey, make sure when you're doing your bathroom pre- breaks that you're, you know, being real cognizant to pay attention of how long they're in the bathroom when you got to pop in there and say, okay, everybody out doing sweeps. Um, it's already hard enough when you're managing 25 to 30 children, depending on the grade. And now to worry about, you know, what, what they're possibly doing in the restroom. And I think it's a bigger deal on the secondary level. The thing that I'm wondering is like, this is almost like, I don't want to call the kids stupid that are doing this, but it's like the, a stupid criminal thing. Like you're documenting you breaking the rules. Like, I don't understand why they would even do that. But I I guess that drive to be liked on social media, is that great? Well, I was going to say, we do understand why they're doing it because they consider it funny. And this time that they're living in, this gets you lots of likes and, you know, lots of laughs, but we're not really thinking it through because of the, you know, level of immaturity to understand what type of safety issue you're causing. If you're causing um, financial damages that a school district has to, you know, now be concerned about. If you did something and it caused trauma to another student where they walk in and, and see it, they're, they're not thinking about any of that. And what I'd like to do if there are any parents listening <laughs> and if there's educators that, you know, you have a voice with parents, talk to them, ask them to talk to their children and to help them see that this is not a great prank, that it's not cool, that it's unsafe. And just, you know, explain the consequences um, that can ensue if they participate in the challenge. Senator Richard Blumenthal, an actual like federal senator, uh, has sent a letter to the CEO of TikTok urging him to delete videos, ban users and restrict hashtags. Apparently, he says that they have done some stuff, but it hasn't been enough. And he wants to see more steps taken. I think, um, I mean... That this article, I think, is a day or two old. I want to say that um, TikTok creators are trying to um, say sorry by apparently creating the angelic yields hashtag where they go and like bring toilet paper and like try to give back um, after the damage is done. Um, I don't know if that makes things right. I guess it's a nice, you know, it's case by case basis. But just the fact that a, a senator is. Um, you know, calling on TikTok to do more. I guess, do you think TikTok is responsible for, you know, not clamping down on this fast enough? Um, Well, I guess you have to look at that twofold. At the end of the day, parents have to be responsible for their their own children and their actions. So they have to um, teach their kids, you know, how to do what right from wrong and to know when, hey, I'm not going to step out there and do this and even hold them accountable if they do it. I don't know if we can really punish or, you know, accuse TikTok and say that this is all their fault. However, I do think that somebody should have had some sense at the top level to say, if we allow this to go around on our platform, I suspect we will have a great impact on school buildings. So let's try not to show it. I mean, they've got to have some common sense too, but we don't know who we're dealing with. Are we dealing with, a, a you know, a ton of young techies at TikTok? We don't know. Right. Well, another story that caught my attention this week is um, I'm sure you've been hearing about the school bus driver shortage. And I was curious, like, again, how widespread is this? Because I see it, at least in pockets, this is a real issue. Over in um, Massachusetts, it's um, they had to call the National Guard to help like mitigate the problem and actually help drive at least vans, I think, with for kids. Um, and it looks like um, in Montana, there's a district offering 
over $4,000 in bonuses for new drivers, um, which, gosh, if, if you're offering me a $4,000 bonus, I might actually start driving a school bus. Um, I mean, is this, we, we made it through last year in the South here during the pandemic, but are we seeing bus drivers shortages here in the South? Well, we saw those shortages last year and even probably before COVID started and it's worse now. Um, but, but, Bus drivers are not the the only shortage that you see. I mean, if you look at a lot of the different information coming out nationwide, all different types of industries are struggling mm-hmm. to hire people, even with the unemployment benefits being cut. Um, I think every district in America is probably struggling and wanting to hire some qualified bus drivers. I think it's super cool that they were able to identify some hiring bonuses. Um, got to do what you got to do to try to, you know, keep your district floating efficiently. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you say we saw them last year. I didn't really hear about them last year as much, but maybe it's just because more of the nation is back to school in person. And I guess probably media in these bigger cities Mm -hmm. is picking up the story more out of New York or or whatever. So I did not realize that that would be, that would be true. Just like the teacher shortage being a big talk, but it's been going on for a minute now. Right. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, I want to end on kind of a fun note. We've got, um, a story that I actually stumbled across in the Marshall memo. And it really um, began with education week, um, which actually then started over back on Twitter's Twitter thread, which was basically asking like, how do you as a teacher get middle school students attention? Like what are your tricks? And I know all teachers have them up your sleeves. So if you have one, just holler at me. For example, like somebody said, I always get in front of the class and I sing red Robin and they will always reply. Yum. Like they can't help themselves. It says (laughs) that's Um, pretty cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like that one. Um, Or another one was uh, where they say they scream Fortnite and it gets their attention. Um, And you're just little like tricks like that. Do you know of any of these? Like if you need to if you're in front of a bunch of loud kids, what you can do? It's been a long time since I actually taught middle school. And I think because I taught science and we did a lot of investigative activities in my classroom, anytime I said it's time to put their thinking hats on, I mean, they just got <laughs> real quiet. But that was because they were eager to see, you know, just what we were going to create or investigate that day. Um, something very simple we do is give me five. And you hold up your hand for five. Right. It's not because you want a high five slap. They got five seconds to come on and give you that attention. Um, there's just so many other things. How about this? And we even did this yesterday in our staff development. Um, ready to rock. And the kids will say ready to roll. And we did it in staff development yesterday. It was so funny hearing the teachers do it. And they wanted to do it a few more times just because it was light. It's the end of the day. And we wanted to get a little laugh before we got serious into our session. Um, I just think you don't have to be super, super creative. You just got to know your kids. And when you find out something that intrigues them, you got to use it. Uh, another one on there that kind of caught my attention was somebody says their phone or their tablet is always connected to a Bluetooth speaker in the room and they mm-hmm. have like a free app with like a hundred buttons of sounds. And, and whenever their students hear like a certain sounds, they know it's time to quiet down and mm-hmm. listen up. So if you don't want to waste your voice there. Um, and then there's always the just stand in front of the room silently until everyone's wondering like why. I don't know how well that works, but there's <laughs> also a clap, you know, where you, you do a certain rhythm and then they all do that same rhythm back to you and it brings everybody together like tap, 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 tap. And then the kids go back and they do it also. Yeah. Uh, well, we will link to some of these creative tips in our show notes over at classismispodcast.com. Christina, are you ready for today's Brad idea? I am. 
We now live in a world where Siri, Alexa, and Google can answer most straightforward questions in a matter of seconds. So when it comes to educating our students, there's almost no doubt that teaching our students how to think critically is a skill that's essential. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment has conducted research that takes what we know about teaching critical thinking a step further. Emily Fife is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Indiana University. Dr. Fife and her colleagues have released their latest findings in what they call a scalable, versatile approach for improving critical thinking skills. And uh, she's here to actually give us some insight on how we can maybe strengthen our critical thinking muscles. Emily, welcome to Class Dismissed. Happy to be here. Did I get all that right? Do, am I correct yeah. on all that? All right, good, good, good. That was wonderful. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's give this a try because I think even when I was in high school, like critical thinking was it was a buzzword. But I think back then in the in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, and people were like, "Oh, you got to learn this. You got to think this way." Um, it's even more important, I think, today, like for the reasons I was just saying. But I guess w- you all started this this project, this research that you did. You must have had some sort of hypothesis. What was like kind of your the spark that said, we need to understand or, or strengthen the way we think critically. Yeah, so so you're right. Critical thinking is a huge buzzword, and it has been for a really long time. And if you ask anybody sort of in education, a professor or a K-12 teacher, and you say, you know, what do you want to get, what, what do you want your students to get out of this class? There might be some content-related answers, but a lot of people are going to answer critical thinking. But what inspired the work that we were doing is the fact that people aren't that good at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? so you don't get it for free, right? Just because you are educated or you attend a class or you graduate from college doesn't necessarily mean you're a better critical thinker. And, and that seems like a problem. Um, and so, so we started thinking through, you know, what are the ways people have hypothesized that this is going to be improved? And, and there's the whole like, yeah, just more education in general is going to help, which doesn't really seem to be holding true. And then there's some work where it's sort of the opposite um, claim where it's like, no, no, it's not just like attending classes and, and being educated and, and, um, and, and, you know, broadening your horizons. It's no, it's like targeted instruction. It's like you have to take a whole class on just critical thinking and, mm-hmm. and structured things. And, and that, that part of the extreme and also felt wrong, right? So there's, there's really promising work in cognitive science and psychology that might suggest something more basic, like concerted practice (laughs) um, might be able to help in this way. So really, we were inspired by the need to improve people's critical thinking, but also finding a way that's actually feasible, you know, for the general population. And so we sort of focused on this um, intervention that is really simple and based on essentially practicing sorting different kinds of mistakes that people might make when they're trying to think critically. Okay. So I guess if I'm hearing you right, you're saying practicing critical thinking was was kind of the conclusion and you're going to give us ways of maybe tools on how we can do this better. But you, you said something else too. You said, we're not good at critical thinking, just it seems like naturally. And I guess there's got to be a reason for that or like mistakes that people are making, right? You had, you had to kind of start there, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So if uh, there are assessments of critical thinking out there, and if you give them, say, to graduating seniors, it turns out they don't do that great on these kinds of um, assessments. And, and, and to start, you have to say, like, well, what is critical thinking? And, and we think of it as, as many people do as sort of um, being able to detect errors in people's thinking, right? So if I, if I take some 
um, information or a scenario or some data, and I'm going to make a claim. Somebody who's good at critical thinking should be able to tell whether that claim is valid. Like, is that a good claim based on the information you have? Or is there something problematic with that claim? And it, and because of lots of things about being a human, right? We have things like confirmation bias, where right. we want to seek out information that um, that already supports what we think to be true. It makes things like critical thinking really hard. Well, um, what about like yeah. a correlation? We, we often like assume that there's a correlation yes. that there's some sort of cause, I guess, right? Yes, this comes up a lot. So when I instruct my students and I say, has anybody heard of the phrase correlation is not causation? All of the hands um, go straight in the air. And then I say, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and it's hard. They're like, oh, well, um, so, so yeah, just because two things are associated, it's intuitive to think that one might be, you know, causing change in the other variable. Um, but but we can't make those claims from correlational data. And so it's hard for lots of reasons because our intuition might suggest the opposite of, of what's true and those sorts of things. Your experiment, I guess, you guys had certain groups of study participants. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yes. So can you kind of like break them down into like what each group was or is that oh, yeah, there so yeah. many that it's it's all over the no place. no no I I'll do a quick schematic of okay. the, the study yeah so essentially it boiled down to about 250 participants in our study and these are sort of um, people in the general population and what they did was they took part in a four session study so this is done on a on a website through Amazon uh, Mechanical Turk, where you can sign up to be um, a participant in different studies. So they sign up for our study. And the first thing they do is just, they take a screener. And the screener is really just to make sure that they're actual humans, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. This is all sort of done online and we wanna make sure that they can respond to basic um, open-ended questions. So then the meat of the study comes in the next part. So then they take a pretest, and essentially the pretest is sort of what I've laid out before. They read these scenarios and in open-ended just, you know, open box to type in, they essentially say, hey, is there something wrong with this scenario or is it fine as is? And they either say, yeah, this this is a good claim or they tell us what's wrong with it. So that's the, the pretest. And then everybody got exposed to a little bit of training where they essentially learned that there are specific fallacies or mistakes that are really common for people to make. Um, some of these are what we've been talking about, overgeneralizing claims, confirmation bias, correlation is not causation, right? And there are six of these. So you're, trying, then, to, you're, you're trying to create skeptics of them, I guess, at this point, right? Yes, and, and exposing them to the fact that there are mistakes. These are the kinds of mistakes that people make and giving them labels, okay. right? So that's that's what happens. Everybody does that. And then they get split, randomly assigned to three different conditions. So some of our participants then move on to get the, the bulk of what we're studying, which is the critical thinking practice. And in that practice scenario, essentially what they're doing is, is practicing multiple choice questions. So there's going to be a scenario and the multiple choice options are gonna be one of those mistakes. So they read the scenario and they say, which mistake is being made here? And they get practice doing it. They get feedback and they can see the, the, scenario, the, um, the descriptions of these fallacies as they're doing the practice, right? So mm -hmm. it's essentially multiple choice sorting practice saying, oh, this scenario is this kind of a mistake and this scenario is this kind of a mistake. 
Other participants get assigned to what we call non-critical thinking practice. So um, this was essentially based on like some Psych 101 material and they get similar kinds of scenarios. But instead of categorizing them as um, having a particular fallacy, um, they're just asked sort of factual questions um, about Psych 101 material. So it might be like, um, which um, neurotransmitter is this talking about? Right. And the correct answer is serotonin. It has nothing to do with whether the claims are being are, are true or not. And then a third group of our participants actually just did no sort of practice. So they moved straight to the final session, which was the post test. And so then all three of our groups, we've got some people who have critical thinking practice, some who have non-critical thinking practice and some who just do nothing in the interim. Then they all take a post test. And this post-test is similar to the pre-test where they read these scenarios and in an open-ended format, they have to you know, type their responses and say, you know, is this a valid conclusion or is there something wrong with this conclusion and why? And that's sort of the setup of what we did. So that's what our participants did in the study. Okay. And so let's talk about the results. What did you find? Uh, well, it worked. <laughs> it supported our hypothesis, and we were very, very excited. So um, those in the critical thinking practice condition got better. So they improved their critical thinking skills. Like a know, lot from... better or just a little better? Oh, um, I would say modestly better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. Uh, and the the people in the other two conditions, so non-critical thinking practice and then just no practice at all, um, essentially were kind of the same. There wasn't any, um, they, they had like very, very minimal improvements and they weren't different from each other. So basically like they, they were about the same as their pretest. When you say that. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Very similar. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I guess the conclusion is that the, the practicing of critical thinking is the only way we're going to get better at it. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so remember all of the participants in our study got some initial exposure. So they saw these, you know, they got a little bit of instruction that said, Oh, here are some mistakes that people made and mm -hmm. here's what we label them. Um, and so everybody got labels for these mistakes and knew that they were mistakes that people make. But only people in the critical thinking practice condition actually practiced using these sort of multiple choice scenarios, putting that information into uh, in using it. Right. If you were teaching, let's just say younger students like high schoolers mm -hmm. um, yeah. and now knowing your hypothesis and seeing it supported, what what would you suggest doing differently to to help them learn critical thinking better or I guess practice critical thinking? Like, is there uh, an exercise or anything that exists yet? Or is that something that you guys would be doing next where you develop some sort of exercise? Yeah. So, I mean, I think currently the materials that we have developed are fairly specific to sort of psychology material, like mm -hmm. in terms of the content. So if you read one of these scenarios, it's going to be about, oh, a psychologist um, ran a study about uh, a particular kind of therapy or something, and it works in this way. And those are the scenarios and the materials that we've created. And they work really well. So if your content area is anything relevant to psychology, then these would work. But we think that this general practice would work with lots of different kinds of content areas. So essentially, all we would need to do is take this basic structure, the materials that we have, which is a really simple, you know, 
little brief training um, and adapt it to have maybe scenarios of different kinds of content. What's the next step? I mean, this is kind of early, right? When, when did you guys wrap this up, this whole project? Oh, goodness. Recently. <laughs> I mean, are you still are you still going through the data and, and yeah, working on more yes. conclusions from it? We are. So we are in the process of writing a more full report that we will submit for publication in a in a formal research journal. So, yes, we are still working through some of the ideas. Um, uh, next steps are still sort of up in the air. So prior to this, actually, the study that I'm talking to you um, about today, we did do a small sort of pilot in an actual classroom. So so I said this study we did was sort of online using this mechanical Turk sample um, from the general population. But prior to this, we did a pilot study in an actual classroom where Psych 101 students engaged in this practice over the course of the semester. Um, but that was... Uh, it was not a full randomized experiment and it was pilot. So one potential next step is to take this more formal um, training exercise that we've created and do an actual randomized experiment in real classrooms. Yeah, I, I would love to see. I would love to see a tool almost like you developed for the mm -hmm. for the the group that was successful and the group that, you know, improved on the test. Like that would be neat to even have that available so you could actually use it as an exercising tool i guess so to speak i did not even realize that amazon offered i guess a i don't know what you call it like a scientific testing <laughs> tool i didn't know that was out there yeah there are different um um platforms now so one of them is called amazon's mechanical turk one is called prolific and essentially it's a way for people in the general populations to to start being participants in these research studies mm -hmm. so for a long time and it still happens now many research studies are based on psych 101 students right <laughs> we have access to a pool of students and they complete our our experiments um but now with these new tools we're trying to reach broader audiences you know that aren't just between the age of 18 and 22 uh, and, and that's one way to do that. And how does so that work? Is like, if you, if, I know I'm off track here, but if I was a participant, like, do you get a few bucks for doing, taking the time to go through yeah. the whole thing? Yeah. So if you're a, an, a person on this mechanical Turk or prolific site, yeah, you sort of have your own profile and you can choose which studies to participate in. And they're usually associated with a certain amount of monetary value or something like that. And some are really short, you know, they're like, Oh, I just want you to answer these three quick questions. And some are, ours was sort of a four part session. So you had to keep kind of returning back to the site. Um, but yeah, they vary. Going back to kind of what I opened up with, you know, we live in this world where it seems like if I need to know, when Columbus came to America, I can ask, you know, you know who I don't mm -hmm. even want to say it because she'll tell me, um, <laughs> you know, and and so it's like the the little bits of information don't seem I don't want to say they're not important, but we know that we have such quick access to that. Right. Um, and so I, f I think all educators would agree, like thinking critically is is how we're going to be successful in our jobs in the future or and just in life in general um and to have that skill set so i i would say like if, if you have a child I, I don't know you personally but um if you have kids like what would you do to to teach them to think more critically as you're raising them yeah so i i have i got i have three kiddos at home Good. um and um so i would expose them to the idea that not every claim that's out there is valid and there are ways um, to evaluate what evidence is leading to that claim. And, and there are also ways to practice that. So we have shown one way to do that with adults in this sort of multiple choice practice scenario. And I would have to think carefully about how to adapt that um, for young children as they're growing up. 
You mentioned something at the top of the interview, uh, the term confirmation bias, which yeah. for anybody who, who's just listening, I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong in explaining this, but it's basically, I have a belief, I go online, I and I'm putting in air quotes, research it, and uh-huh. I find you know, information that confirms my beliefs because it exists yeah. out there on the interweb, you know? So, uh, yeah, how, how do we, this may be a way deeper question than we need to get into mm-hmm. right now, but how do we combat that? <laughs> now that is a big question <laughs> and it's not just confirmation bias, right? We have all kinds of biases and the number one recommendation coming out of psychological research is to acknowledge that right? So ignoring the fact that we have biases isn't going to help at all. And acknowledging that we all have them, whether it's confirmation bias or some other kind, um, is number one step, because then you can sort of put yourself in check (laughs) and say, oh, you know, am I only seeking out one side of the story sort of thing? And so that acknowledging that the biases exist, and then practicing detecting it, not only in your own self, but in other people's claims is what our research would suggest you need to do. So practice figuring out where it's happening and why it's happening. Gotcha. Well, it's excellent advice. Uh, kudos to you and, mm-hmm. and your colleagues. I, I'm assuming that this is, was this like a, a win for you guys, this, this whole project? Was it oh, it was a wonderful. Yeah, it was an excellent collaboration with lovely people and um, supported uh, in, with funding from the Reboot Foundation, which was really exciting and something that that worked. Right. So we we set out a hypothesis. We we designed a very rigorous scientific experiment and we found results that were in support of our hypothesis, which now we can you know, share with the world. Well, Emily Fife, we appreciate you uh, sharing that information with us. And um, if anybody wants to keep up with you, is there anywhere you like to hang out? Are you like on Instagram or anything like that or uh, Twitter? I'm on Twitter for sure. What's your handle? Do you know offhand? Ooh, Fife Emily, I believe. All right. And that's F-Y-F-E. All right, yes. Emily, are you ready for our pop quiz? I think so. Okay, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Ooh, math. (laughs) What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Critical thinking. There you go. (laughs) What does every child deserve? Oh, a chance to succeed. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Ooh, that's a good question. All right. And sticking with the theme, I'm going to say making sure that they have the skills like critical thinking that apply outside the classroom. What's the best gift to give an educator? To give an educator? Yes. A room full of willing and happy and engaged and attentive students. Which teacher changed your life? So many of them. Um, you can I have, name one if there's one. I will. I will. I will. So this, I don't know if this is cheating because um, this person's name is Nicole McNeil and she was my teacher as an undergraduate. So not a K-12, but many of my K-12 teachers were also very um, memorable. But Nicole McNeil was my professor at the University of Notre Dame when I was an undergraduate and completely um, set me on this path to be an academic and is the reason I have the job I have today. And last question. It's an easy one. Pen or pencil? Ooh, pencil. All right. Thank you so much, Emily. We really appreciate you joining us. And uh, thanks for coming on the Classismas podcast. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed.com. 
We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.